season as we gather uh, in anticipation for uh, the coming of Christ. It's the, the two advents, the, the, the Christ that has come and, and the coming Christ. And so we kind of sit here in this tension between uh, what's been done and what has yet to be accomplished. And, and as we lean into Advent, we do so in, in order to uh, elevate our Christmas experience. We want to experience Christmas uh, with its true meaning, the way that God intended. We want to keep focused on Christ. And it's easy to get caught up in all of the stuff. I got to get this, and I got to buy that, and I got to get this ready, and uh, decorate this, and all of that. And so we come in here, and we quiet our hearts, we slow our pace just a bit, we set aside hurry, and uh, and we just invite God to come and move in our lives in, in in a way that helps us understand the true meaning of Christmas. And and throughout the series, we've been lighting candles, and so last week we uh, lit the candle of hope, and this week we light the candle of peace. And we hope that our peace candle holds up. It's getting a little short. But the idea is that Jesus is the light of the world. And he comes into dark spaces. I came in this morning. It's cloudy, uh, as it always is. We'll see the sun in June, so hold on. Uh, It's cloudy. And it was dark this morning. And I turned light on, and it illuminated the space. Because that's what light does. It's not a novel concept. That as we understand Christ as the light of the world, it enters through us, and we become the light that we take into dark spaces. And so wherever you find yourself this season, in other people's homes and workspaces and whatever. We bring the light of hope and peace with us as we uh, journey through this season. We're able to be the light for others. And so I encourage you to uh, pay more attention, to lean into the people around you, the conversations you're having, your attitude, your behaviors, the mannerisms, the songs that are playing. Be more aware of, of, of what's happening because I think as we open our awareness up to what's uh, happening, we'll begin to see God use us in unique ways. And we'll begin to be light in in spaces that we didn't expect to be light in. And so today we explore uh, this concept of peace, specifically peace on earth. The idea that we can have peace, not just peace, but peace on earth. We know one day we're going to go be with Christ and that's going to be peaceful. But here on earth, peace feels like a concept that we study, we talk about. It feels uh, like just a theory. Uh, Theoretically, we can have peace, but none of us really are experiencing it. I mean, let's just recap your morning. You know what I mean? Did you have a peaceful, calm morning today? Probably not. I mean, if you did, we're happy you're here. But most of us did not. I mean, I get up early before my kids, so I had a pretty peaceful day. So I probably win the day. The rest of you did not have a peaceful moment. Our lives are characterized by moments of stress and anxiety and worry and hurry and fear. We're wrestling with all of these emotions in our head, and they swing left and right and back and forth. And there feels like there's constant tension in our hearts and in our lives. And so when we begin to recognize that we don't have peace, we start to see the idea of peace as just a theory. We can study it. We can hope for it. But it's not really a characteristic of my life. And our world is in great need of peace. I mean, our world's in turmoil. You don't have to look very far to see that there's a void of peace it's not available to, to people in our world. And so we start looking at our world, we look at our lives, and we go, maybe the concept of peace is just a Christmas saying. Maybe it's something we put on a card. But the term peace means the absence of anxiety, that you live in a state of harmony and serenity. And we all want to do that. It's why we have the medications, and it's why we have yoga, and it's why we, you know, try to center ourselves. Like, we all want that. But as you move around, especially this time of the year, people are honking at each other and yelling and screaming and fighting for stuff. And there's just not peace available. 
And the early church, and really early Christians would uh, use the word peace. The Hebrews would use peace, but they would say the word shalom. It was a greeting it was that multifaceted, and they would greet with shalom, and they would exit presence with shalom. When you would go into someone's house, they would greet you with peace. I greet you in peace, and I uh, speak peace over you. And when you laugh, they would bless people with peace as you laughed. And it means to be safe and sound and perfect and complete and like nothing. And again, this sounds beautiful. Shalom signifies the presence of well-being and, and just being in that moment. It also signifies the absence of anxiety. And, and, and we want this, but we don't experience it. And I love the song Silent Night. It's a great song. It's not my favorite, but it's a great song. And uh, it, it, it just kind of evokes a sense of peace. You put it on, you close your eyes, dark room, Christmas tree, and you just feel this strange sense of peace. And the song is a narrative describing uh, the, the entrance of Jesus, the Christmas story. And as you put the nativity scene up, we have one in our lobby. You kind of begin to romanticize the idea of the entrance of Jesus into the world. You've got the shepherds and the, the, the cows and the sheep and the donkeys and just random animals from all over the world just show up. And you got Jesus in a manger and it's peaceful and there's hay. It's really nice hay. I don't know if you've ever been in the stable, but hay does not look like it does in, in the manger scene. And, and you have all these people. And, and as we know through history, they weren't all there at the same time. And it's probably a June birth or maybe a July birth. But regardless, it's snowing out. And, and there's Jesus. And we've romanticized the nativity scene as a peaceful, calm, silent night. But what we know through history History is that it was not a calm and peaceful night. That we can romanticize the idea of the story of Jesus with barns and cows and wise men and, and Jesus, but the reality was it wasn't clean. It was full of stress and anxiety and, and could have been full of worry. And the story of Jesus is a story of chaos. And it begins uh, in Luke 2. It says, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Cornelius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth into Galilee, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant while they were there. The time for her to give birth was there. So here they are traveling to go fulfill their uh, legal obligation to register in their town. They're traveling. It wasn't a pleasant travel. It was a long journey. Uh, they're trying to get there. Mary's pregnant. It's probably not a convenient time to travel. They finally get there. There's no space. There's no room. Uh, they can't find a hotel. They can't find a hostel. They can't find anything. And they find what many theologians believe to be a cave. And they're like, well, this will do. Uh, and so they huddle up in a cave. And, and, and all of a sudden, her water breaks. It's time to give birth. And I don't know how many times you've been in this situation, but I've been in this many times where I ask myself, could anything else go wrong? Could anything else bad, and then something does, and you're like, why did I speak that out into the universe? I should not have put that out there. We've been in moments throughout our lives where we're chaos, and, and, and we're trying to travel and, and journey, and then someone blows the diaper out. I mean, it's been a few years, but it happens, and, and then we'll be somewhere in the tire or the car or, you know, whatever, and like, there's these moments where it's like, could anything else fall apart? Maybe your morning was like that. It's like, could anything else go wrong? Those people probably aren't here today because something else did go wrong. It's moments of chaos. Here's Mary trying to fulfill her legal obligation, just get this thing done. Now her water breaks, and, and the reality was it wasn't clean, and it wasn't easy, and it wasn't as majestic or romantic as we've made it out to be. 
Uh, there's these moments in all of our lives we romanticize. Hollywood keeps telling us life should be this way and marriage should be this way and kids should be this way. And, and it's just not. Life is messy. And it's off and it's down and it's this way and this way. And yet, in the midst of the most chaotic moments of our life, we can still find peace. Now I know if you're in the midst of chaos, got a loved one in the hospital or you're financially depleted or whatever, you're like, not the time. Not the time to tell me to find Peace, because what I do is in the moments of the most chaotic situations, I find anger, right? Anger is a lot more fun to reach for. Yet anger is the enemy of peace. And so many of us uh, are overwhelmed with our situations so often that finding peace doesn't even seem plausible. It's not even something we can even contemplate. Should we find peace in this moment of chaos? And often we think that in order for us to have divine peace, everything has to be in order. The situation has to be idyllic. Fire going, Christmas tree, home by yourself, or everyone's at least quiet or asleep. You've got a cup of your favorite beverage, and there's some soft music playing on the, on the record player. And, and like, that's, that's the moment of peace, and you take a deep breath, and you feel peace, don't you? You ever stop and just do breathing exercises? I got really in the habit of doing that a while ago. and Like, you feel different. You can literally will yourself into feeling calm. And you don't realize how tense you are until you actually stop and relax, take a deep breath, and you go, oh, I was really tense. But peace doesn't depend on our situation. At least it shouldn't. If peace were situational, then none of us would ever experience it for any length of time. Those moments when everything seems to go wrong, when our lives are marked by dysfunction and stress and chaos, we actually can still have peace. That the world we live in is marked and shaped by chaos, it's all out of order, and sometimes chaos is necessary because it evokes change in our lives. So chaos has, has its place in our lives, as everything does. But for us to live in chaos, or live in hurry, or to live in worry, or live in fear, steals our peace from us every moment. And here at Mary and Joseph, they, they find a cave. They find this small little space, this corner of the world to call home for the night, and in Luke 2, 7, it says, then she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for them at the lodging place. So here we find the greatest miracle in human history takes place. In a cave around animals with a feeding trough and there's no press, there's no headline news story, there's no media attention. It largely goes unrecognized by the people in that town. They're all still going about their regular business. And I love how cavalier Luke is when he tells of Jesus' birth. He simply says, and then she gave birth. I love how cavalier, if you ask me about the birth of my children, I go, we were, went to the hospital, I took this route, and we took this road, this was the city we were in, we checked in, and then she gave birth, and then they gave us the kid. But if you ask my wife about birth, she's going to go, there was pain. There was an epidural, it hurts, they did this, she's going to give you gory details you don't want to know. We can tell a man wrote this passage because he just says, then, and she gave birth. And I like the fact that Luke just gets to the point because I don't know what it's like to give birth, neither does Luke. We've got ideas but what we do know is that it wasn't simple. What we do know is that the conception was immaculate and divine, but there's no indication that the birth was. So we're left to wonder, was this tough? How long did she labor? How hard was it? How scared was she? Was there stress? Was there worry? Was there fear involved? You can imagine the birth of a baby in a cave with nothing but hay 
and a feeding trough, it's probably going to be met with a lot of chaos. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we realize that from the moment the news broke about his arrival or his coming, there was constant chaos. There were people looking to kill him from the, before he was even born. Jesus' birth excited more than wonder. It excited evil as well. And we see this exercised in people like Herod and Judas and Pilate. That it wasn't just wonder and, and beauty and amazement and love and hope and joy, but it was fear. It was evil. And throughout Jesus' life, people were just out to get him. Jesus steps into the temple as a boy and he teaches and people are mad. He begins his public ministry at 30, turning water into wine, and people are upset. He heals a blind man, cures a woman bleeding, raises a man to life. And, and yet all along the way, they're plotting against him, trying to figure out how to kill him. Finally, he goes to the garden and finds a little bit of peace, but he agonizes to the point where he sweats, drops of blood from his head. And even his own disciples questioned him and, and doubted him. And then finally, he was brutally murdered on a cross and put in a grave where he finds peace. Because there's peace and death. And then God brings him back three days later. And if I'm Jesus, I'm like, really? Really, God? Like, i got to come back to all of this? I was happy for a moment. I had some peace. And yet here he is again. And then he shows up to his disciples. And they all think he's a ghost. And we're back to chaos again. That Jesus' life, objectively, would not have been seen as peaceful. That in our lives, there's plenty of chaos. There's plenty of worry and stress. And, and, and peace that comes from God does not ensure that we're not going to experience those moments. If you're looking to escape life and the hardships of life, Christ does not invite you to escape the emotions and the feelings of life. That a relationship with God doesn't mean that everything is magically perfect. In fact, the opposite is often true. Throughout human history, God's people were the ones persecuted the most. We have it backwards today, and yet God does not guarantee there will be no chaos but what he does guarantee is that he's going to be with you in the midst of it. That if you'll align your life with Christ, and you'll trust him with your life, that even in the midst of the worst moments of your life, you can stop and find God's presence. Even in the midst of the most painful experiences, we can find that God is near us. And in fact, if we're aware, we'll find that God is more near to us in those moments, because we're more open that throughout human history God's people continue to draw peace from their pursuit of God that God doesn't guarantee us that we'll escape it but we can find peace when we find him and in John 16 33 it says I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace you will have suffering in this world be courageous for I've conquered the world See, I think this is important for us to note, that most of the turmoil and the tension that we feel in our lives is because we don't believe that God's already conquered this world. It's already done. Victory's already been given to Christ. Now, we've got to walk through these things. We've got to go through these moments, and they're scary, and they're terrible, terrible, and we lose loved ones, and we get sick, and we run out of this and that, and, and, and life is very hard, and God is with us in the hardships because he's already conquered the world. And when we lose sight of the reality that God has already conquered the world, then we become overwhelmed with these emotions and feelings, and we lose peace. We go, God, where are you? He's going, I'm here. I've already conquered the world. And I believe that divine peace doesn't depend on our situation. The peace that comes from Christ doesn't come 
when things are good and leave when things are bad. But it actually becomes the mast that holds the ship upright and keeps it moving in the right direction. If we will center our lives on Christ, then we'll have peace. We'll carry peace with us that even if you're in a cave having a baby, you can still have this sense of peace when you set your heart and mind on Christ Jesus. That we, we remain focused on God. We'll have this everlasting peace. It's not a peace that comes and goes, but it's a constant, a mainstay. That peace is a much deeper feeling that's not affected by the outside world. Come what may, I trust in God. He's already conquered the world. I mean, I have peace to know that God is working out good in my heart and in my lives. But peace means that even when your world is upside down, you know that God is in charge of that world, that he's already conquered it. We have to actively find peace. Now, we find peace in a lot of things, in a lot of areas, but true peace can only be found in God. When we find peace, we live peace. The other responsibility that we have if we want to evoke peace in our, uh, in our lives is that we've got to live peace. I know a lot of us love chaos. You wouldn't say that out loud, but you thrive in it. You thrive in hurry. You thrive in worry. You thrive in anxiety. You feel like there's a sense of control. You thrive in fear. We thrive in these things many times, and when we look back at our life, we go, oh, wow, I didn't have to do that. I didn't have to worry or fear or have stress, but I thrive in it, and we become used to it, Right? It's just like when you get something brand new and you're like, it's very new and, and I like it. And then it just becomes a normal part of your life. We experience hurry or worry or whatever. And it's like, oh, that's not a feeling I love, but I've got to feel it. And then we love it and we adopt it and we accept it. We actually can't realize we're immersed in it or caught up in it. And yet we've got a responsibility to live peace. That someone great once said, let there be peace. And let it begin with me. If you want peace in your workspace, you want peace in your homes, you want peace in your relationships and friendships, it starts with you. Luke 2, verse 8 says, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the field and kept watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Here we find a bunch of shepherds doing what shepherds do, and they're hanging out in the field, and an angel appears, and it scares them all. And we see this theme throughout the birth of Jesus. The, the, the story of Jesus is often characterized by, by uh, a, a quick emotion of fear because uh, fear is such a pervasive emotion. The first thing they felt was fear. They're terrified. Who wouldn't? An angel appears or several angels appear. And, and all of a sudden, they're, they're afraid. And I feel like a lot of us operate out of fear more often than we do peace. Irrational fear is the enemy of peace. Now, rational fear can actually evoke peace. So let me explain. I have a, a rational fear of being hit by uh, a semi-truck, right? You should too, hopefully. Adopt that fear in your life. Uh, you have a rational fear of being hit by a vehicle. So when you cross the road, you're extra careful. I have a rational, I have a lot of rational fears. I have a rational fear of, of wild animals, you know, poisonous, deadly ones. So I don't spend any part of my life around wild, poisonous, deadly animals. And so I have a peace about that. I can wake up in my home, doors are locked, no wild animals getting in. I can get in my car, I can come to work. And so I have peace. And then I'm not gonna get hit by a car and I'm not gonna be attacked by a wild animal. And so irrational fear, healthy rational fear can evoke peace. But what we do so often is we take our rational fear and we flip it into irrational fear because our brains never stop. I got, a, I got a pain somewhere. Oh, well, it's probably this or that, and it's going to lead to that, and I'm, this is probably the end of my life. It's just over. 
That's what our brains do. They go from this to this. We go from zero to 60 in seconds because we allow rational fear to turn into irrational fear. And a lot of us are walking around with zero peace, but a whole lot of irrational fears. And when you start to uh, uh, articulate your fear, this is what I'm afraid of, you go, oh yeah, that sounds pretty dumb when you say it out loud. But a lot of us, we hold this in so much and it wears on our bodies. And Philippians 4 says, in the peace of God, which surpasses every thought. Now, every thought means every single thought. I think in, in whatever translation you would find, whatever, uh, whatever time, uh, if you want to go back in time, hundreds of years ago, every thought would literally mean every single thought. So you're rational, you're irrational. Every thought, the peace of God will surpass all of those thoughts that will guard your heart and then will guard your minds in Christ Jesus, why is this so important? It's so important because you and I live so often taking rational fears and turning them into irrational fears, which is the enemy of our peace. And what God is promising through Philippians is that he will actually wrap its himself around the neurons of our brains and around the veins of our hearts to protect us from allowing ourselves to spiral out of control, eliminating peace from our lives. Meaning the next time you have this thought that says, oh, I wonder if that's going to happen. Instead of allowing yourself to trail down that path to go, oh, well, this is the end. Worst case scenario. Stop it in its tracks. Allow the peace of God to cover over it, to wrap itself over it, to protect us. That in the midst of brokenness and fear, Advent reminds us that peace is not only a desirable concept, it's not a theory, but it's actually something that we can have. It's a reliable, uh, uh, attainable reality that we can have in Christ. And through the birth of Jesus, as foretold in Isaiah, we know that Jesus doesn't just give us peace, he's actually the Prince of Peace. He is peace. And in Luke 2, the story continues, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid, shepherds, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Emphasis on all the people. What about them? Yes, all people. What about them? All people. Today a Savior, who is Messiah the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. That you and I don't have to be afraid because we are the recipients of good news, great joy. There's a Messiah, the Lord. He was born for you and born for me. And it wasn't so much about there being no more wars between nations or absence of violence in our cities. It wasn't that there was no more chaos and that we're all just going to live a peace-filled life. That's not what's being described here. Instead, it was God declaring peace with his people through Jesus Christ. The time of his vengeance was put aside. That Jesus came, he lived, and he died for sins he never committed so that you and I could have peace with God. And we may not have a peace-filled life per se, but we have peace with God. We have peace in God, and through Jesus we realize that God reconciled the world unto him. And throughout his life, Jesus brought conflict, but most of the conflict that he brought was inner conflict. Because we love our sins so much, we don't want someone to come and take that from us. We don't want someone to come and remind us that it's sin and we are separating ourselves from God through living in that sin. And what Jesus does is much like a surgeon, he comes in and he finds the problem, he spills a little blood to eradicate it, and then he brings healing if we'll allow him to. But nobody wants to go under the knife. I don't want to do that. And so the tension that we feel is that Jesus came not out of guilt and condemnation, but to liberate us and to free us through grace and mercy. But we have to subject ourselves 
to his mercy. We have to invite God's grace and mercy into our lives in order to feel and experience peace. That Jesus challenged us to see the world in a different way, to see ourselves and our sin as a master that has no business ruling over our lives. In Luke 2, 11, it says, or 13 rather, suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angels praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. You're highly favored by God. We forget that. God loves us and he favors us. And you have peace in him because you've chosen God. If you've aligned your life with Christ, you've invited him to lead your life, you have found favor with God. And so we seek less for peace and we seek more for God's favor. The favor of God can be described as tangible evidence that a person has the approval of the Lord. God is with us. And we see his favor when we seek his face. If you want more favor with God, go after God. See, if we were to walk outside right now, it's chilly out. It's cold. You walk outside and, and we're all standing in the cold. Give it five or ten minutes and everybody's shivering. And you look over and you see me and I've got a big barrel fire. You know, like a, a homeless camp. I've got a big barrel fire going and, and it's a big fire. What do you do? Naturally, naturally you gravitate towards the, the, the heat. You're like, there's a fire. I'm cold. I'm going to get close to it. When you and I are in chaos and fear, anxiety, worry, hurry, whatever you want to put in there, we owe it to ourselves to get close to the source of peace. That the closer we get to God, the more we begin to experience his peace. We find his favor. We draw near. We lean into. And this is the hardest thing to do sometimes because we get in our heads so often. But God is saying, if you'll just get close to me. See, we have to cultivate silence. We have to cultivate solitude. We need to find ourselves meditating on the scriptures and, and songs of hope and, and joy and of peace. And we draw near to the source of peace and we start to experience the warmth of peace. And a lot of us aren't feeling peace because we're disconnected from the Prince of Peace. That even Mary and Joseph, unwed in a strange land, having a baby in a cave, didn't have to be afraid because God was with them. But you know God is with you too. We just forget that. God's with us. He is with us and he's for us. And in this passage, we find that shepherds are invited into the peace of God, which is interesting because shepherds are society's outcasts. They're dirty, they're smelly, they're, they're, they're working class. You wouldn't invite them over to, uh, to dinner, let alone to your baby, to come see your baby. They're filthy. And yet, here they are being actively involved in the birth of Jesus. That they were welcome because all are welcome. All are welcome. The good news of great joy was for all people, even those estranged or far from God, that you and I have to find peace. You and I have to live peace. And then the third thing that we need to do is we've got to share peace. We have an opportunity, but also we have an obligation to share peace. In Luke 2, 16, it says, The shepherds hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who were lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured these things up in her heart and she meditated on it. The shepherds have this divine encounter with the angelic. They're singing, choir of, uh, of angels are singing. And they have this wonderful uh, catalyst, this moment in their lives that send them looking for Christ. And they go and they find Jesus. And then they share their excitement and their joy and their amazement with everyone. And everyone that heard about it experienced the same excitement and amazement and joy. 
Everyone they came into contact with. That the reality is when we find peace or when we find God, we find peace. When we find peace, we've got to share that peace with others. We find God, we find peace. We live in that peace and we share that peace. We allow that peace to be uh, a part of our lives. Now some of you in the room, some of us, I guess, where our lives aren't characterized by peace. When you leave other people's presence, everybody has to breathe a deep breath. Like, oh, whew. They feel your chaos. They feel your hurry. They feel your, your worries. Like, oh, man. If you don't know if that's you, it's you. There's a, there's a reality. You and I, we have the opportunity, especially this season, to leave peace behind us everywhere we go. To be a source of peace. Your life doesn't have to be perfect. It's not going to be. I think that's the misnomer that all of us have is when life is perfect, then I'll share peace. When life is perfect, then I'll feel peace. It's never perfect. There's always some reason. There's always going to be a bill. There's always going to be a medical thing. There's always going to be a car thing. There's always going to be a kid thing. It's, it's, a, it's a carrot that's dangled in front of all of us. As soon as I get that, then I'll be happy and peaceful. As soon as that happens, and it's never attainable. So let's choose now. To find peace, to experience peace, to live in peace, and then to give peace to others, that your life could be a calming presence to others. Not in a patronizing sort of way, but in a way that you know that God's already conquered the world. If the world's already conquered and we have this knowledge, we're just walking through the steps. And it's not that it's not hard, it's not that it's challenging, it's not that you don't feel other emotions, we're not checking those at the door. But in the midst of all of it, Christ is that mast that keeps our ship upright and moving in the right direction, that we are walking with peace, that we can find both peace with God and in God. And as our hearts are transformed by peace, we become agents of peace. We herald peace. We share peace with others. And this peace that we have in God is what guides us into peace with others. So now we can make peace with others as well. If you're in conflict, you're in chaos with others. We can't force others into forgiveness and peace, but we can be the ones who bridge the gap. Hey, I know this has happened, but I want to bridge the gap, that we can be peace, that in our lives there's conflict. There's stress, there's worry. It's just a natural part of life in our fallen world. And in society, there's violence and division, and there are moments where fear and stress and anxiety, they steal from us that peace. But I want us to be people who in this moment now declare that peace will be in our homes, in our workspaces, in our relationships, in our families. That things are broken. And the root of that brokenness is sin. Sin and its consequences. Sin creates separation. And we feel this viscerally. And the challenge is for those of us who believe in God to recognize and admit that we're broken in our lives. To admit that we're sinners. That even the right things that we've done, we've often done for the wrong reasons. And so we have to check our motives and our hearts and our lives at the door and say, God, what have I done to displease that's displeasing to you? Because we're all sinners in need of grace. And we cannot receive peace until we admit that we're not perfect. We can't receive peace from God until we lay down our pride. We lay down our fears and our worries and our anxiety. That God's peace comes after the inner conflict is resolved through a right relationship with him. We can have peace, but we have to make peace with God first. Repentance is like that antiseptic. You pour on, it stings a little bit, but it brings about healing. And that's what we need, all of us need, especially this time of the year. We need to make peace with God and then make peace with others, that God's peace will come if we'll prepare our hearts. And maybe you're here today and you're in desperate need of peace. 
Not like, I'd like to have it, but you're like, I have to have it. I can't survive without it. I can't breathe many days because I'm overwhelmed with this or that. God wants to help you, and he wants to bring a calm in your life. That calm comes from a right relationship with him. That comes from us truly understanding and often repeating that he's already overcome the world. That he's already conquered the world. And for you and I, what we do is we then walk in that victory. That's already come. Christ has already defeated hell, death, and the grave. That we then walk through those moments. And it's not easy. And we mess up. We make mistakes. We hurt people we love. And yet, we have a responsibility to be quick to repent to God and to others and to be heralds of peace. That way, when we leave a room, there's a trail of peace. Like somebody with strong perfume. You're like, I know who is here. I can still smell you. We are peace agents walking around. So here's what I want us to do as we close. I want to give you a situation, and it may or may not apply to your life. It doesn't matter. The, pro, pro, the premise is still there. The concept is still there. I'm going to give you a situation, and what I want you to do is I want you to repeat back to me it as well with my soul. So I'm going to give you a scenario, and I want you to repeat back it as well with my soul. Because what I want to do is I want to create a habit in our lives to where when things don't feel right, when things are in chaos, when that moment comes where something's broken, I want our immediate response in our lives to be, it's well with my soul. Everything can be burning down around us. But if you've made right relationship with Christ, it is well with your soul. Everything may be wrong in the world and broken, but it can be well with your soul. And so we have an opportunity to consistently remind ourselves so that we may walk with the peace of God which surpasses every thought, which keeps irrational fear in check, that doesn't allow us to spiral out of control. And sometimes it comes as simple as just saying, it is well with my soul. And so I want you to say that in just a moment. When the bills pile up, when I can't find the perfect gift, when I'm overwhelmed with anxiety, when I'm fearful, when everything seems to be going wrong, when everything seems to be going right, come on, it is well with my soul. Everybody say, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. I want that to be a constant in your life. It is well with my soul. Whatever you experience, whatever you feel, whatever your emotion is, whatever you're going through, it is well with my soul. Loving God, Prince of Peace. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, who came to bring peace into our lives and our world. As we embrace this Advent season, help us to seek peace within ourselves, to reconcile with others, and to work for justice and restoration. Fill us with your peace that surpasses all understanding. And use us as instruments of peace in the world. In the name of Jesus, our Prince of Peace, we pray. Amen. If you would, let's stand and sing.